<laughs> Everyone's gotten further away. <laughs> Pardon? The microphone. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, it's nice to see you all sitting comfortably. <laughs> So last night, um, Molly referred to the Buddha's first discourse and, um, and, and explained and described how the Buddha's very first teaching was his proclamation or his declaration of, of the middle way, and the middle way being the way that doesn't get caught in extremes. And I think just in that, there's a, a valuable lesson for us and in that we can we can see and maybe you've experienced today how easily it is for us to go to extremes we get caught up in the one extreme of oh that was a really terrible sitting i was just so restless and my mind was busy and i couldn't sit and da, 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 da. and then you know, come into the next sitting and it goes to the other extreme oh now i've got it this is just so peaceful and calm and <laughs> And, and in either case, we kind of get caught up in it and, and take it up and think this is how it should be or how this is how it shouldn't be. And, and the, Buddha, the Buddha says, no, no, there's a middle path, a middle path, a middle way. And then, um, as Molly explained last night, he, he expressed the middle way in, um, in a list, a list of the Eightfold Noble Path. And then, again, so, so he, he outlines a path, a path that, that keeps us, that protects us from getting caught up in the extremes. And the middle path is this eightfold path, so it's a path with eight parts. And, and also, as Molly explained last night, the, the eight parts are then subdivided into three, three sections. And this evening, I'd like to... Um, explore a little bit and speak a little bit about the first of the three sections. And this section is, is generally referred to as the wisdom section. It's the wisdom. And I, and I find it interesting that, that when he outlines the Eightfold Path, he begins the path with wisdom. And so I'd like to backtrack a little bit and, and see how he comes to, to start with wisdom, and and why why he starts with wisdom, and the backtracking is to the um, the Buddha's the Buddha's summary of his of his insights, the summary the, the way that he summed up his path, and that summary is lies in lies within what he called the Four Noble Truths. And Molly also spoke briefly last night about the Four Noble Truths. So I'd like to backtrack and, and go through the, the path of the, fourth no, of the Four Noble Truths. Um, and, and the reason for this backtracking is because when, when, the, Buddha, when the Buddha speaks about the, the wisdom aspect, the first part of the wisdom aspect is understanding the first three noble truths. 
And then the fourth noble truth is the path. And so the path begins with an understanding of the first three. So we go back, and the first, the first noble truth is the fact of dukkha, the fact that in our lives there is dukkha, there is suffering, there is stress, there is angst, there is dissatisfaction, unsatisfactoriness. And, and so the Buddha just makes this very simple statement, there is dukkha. And it, and it seems, on, on the surface, it seems, it seems rather obvious. I, I would guess that any one of us, through our experience yesterday and today, would find it very difficult to disagree with, with the Buddha. <coughs> we, 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 we see that we, we, we do experience dukkha. And, um, and our tendency when, when we, first of all, when we experience, but even more importantly, when we recognize it, <laughs> when we recognize dukkha, our tendency is to want to either get rid of it or get away from it. And in this first statement, the Buddha is he's, he's pointing out this fact, there is dukkha, but it's, it's more than just pointing out the fact it's actually an invitation. It's an invitation to open to dukkha. Just exactly the opposite of what we want to do. The, the opposite of our, of our conditioned instinct, our conditioned habit. He's inviting us to, to open to dukkha. I'd like to go back um, to the first discourse, which Molly referred to last last night and just um, just read a little bit more about it and the first noble truth the Buddha says now this is the noble truth of dukkha birth is dukkha aging is dukkha illness is dukkha death is dukkha union with what is displeasing is dukkha so getting what we don't want Separation from what is pleasing is dukkha. Losing what we like. Separation from what we like. Not to get what one wants is dukkha. Okay, so so all these all these different these different forms of of dukkha. And um, and later on in the discourse. The, the Buddha says, the noble truth of dukkha is to be fully understood. It's to be fully understood. And this is the invitation. How do we understand it? We understand it by paying attention to it. By paying attention to it. Not by fleeing from it. Not by trying to get rid of it. But by paying attention to it. And so in the, in the meditation practice, when we, when we open to the experience of the body, the, the instruction we give over and over again is open to the experience of the body however it is, <laughs> whether pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. And it's through that opening that we begin to, we begin to open to the pleasure, the pain, and the neutral. The pleasant, the unpleasant, 
the, the neutral, the joys, and the dukkhas. And so this first noble truth is really telling us, open to it, pay attention, pay attention to it. The, last night, Molly referred to the Buddha seeing the, the old person, the sick person, the dead person. No, you didn't? No, she didn't. Oh. So, so the, the, when, when, when the Buddha was, was contemplating his life in the palace, he had his, um, he had his attendant take him out into the, into the city to see what life was like outside of the palace. And he encountered an old person a sick person, and a dead body. And he referred to these as the heavenly messengers. He referred to them as the heavenly messengers because on seeing these, he recognized dukkha within himself. He didn't want those. He didn't like seeing that. He didn't like how it felt. He didn't like contemplating. He didn't like contemplating that this too was going to happen to him, that he would get old, he would get sick, and he would die. And he called, it the, he called them the heavenly messengers because they woke him up to the reality of life, the actuality of life, the fact that, yes, there is aging, sickness, and death. There is dukkha. And, and so maybe... maybe in our practice, when we experience difficulty, rather than seeing it as difficulty, and rather than seeing it as something that I'd rather not experience, can we see it as a heavenly messenger, as a signal to wake up, wake up to life as it actually is? It's really, it's really calling us. I just, I just, I just found out today. My, my, it's been a long, long time since I studied French and since I used my French. But I just, um, I found out today that um, the French word for wound is blessure. And, and, and it struck me. Ah, oh, wound, blessing. The heavenly messenger. It's a blessing. It's a blessing when dukkha shows. It's a blessing because it's an opportunity to really wake up. It's telling us to wake up, to open to our wounds, to open to our dukkha, to allow for the experience of it. Why? Why would we do that? <laughs> Why would we do that when what we really want and what the Buddha wanted was to find a way of living without dukkha? to be able to live in this world free from dukkha. So why would, we, why would we open to it? We open to it because in the opening, in the opening is the possibility of coming to know what's causing it. And the Buddha, in his outlining of the Four Noble Truths, he says, the uh, now bhikkhus, the second is the noble truth of the origin of suffering. So through this paying attention to dukkha, through paying attention to this first noble truth, and, um, and as, as the Buddha said to, to um, 
They say the truth of suffering, the truth of dukkha, is to be fully understood. So we fully understand it by paying attention and coming to know what's the cause. What's the cause of dukkha? The origin of dukkha is this craving which leads to renewed existence accompanied by delight and greed. Seeking delight now here, now there. Wonderful, wonderful statement. Wonderful statement. So the 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 cause the cause of dukkha is this craving which leads to renewed existence accompanied by delight and greed seeking delight now here now there so the 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 origin of dukkha is craving and the the, cra- the word that's translated as craving from Pali actually translates as thirst and I think it's to me it, it gives a better sense of, of the meaning it's a thirst just thirsting for thirsting for things sensual pleasures here and there and here and there and just reaching out and grabbing for wherever we can quench our thirst and we get these things and our thirst is quenched temporarily so we reach out here and we get something and it, it quenches the thirst and then the thirst comes back and we reach out here and there and, and our life so much of our life is driven by this thirst and wanting to quench the thirst and we try so hard to quench the thirst by getting things by getting rid of things This renewed existence, craving which leads to renewed existence, it's craving the thirst, the thirst that perpetuates, that perpetuates, and this is is a very (coughs) difficult aspect of the teachings. If you ever want to pick one discourse of the Buddha to spend the rest of your life studying and practicing, this is the one. This... It leads to craving that leads to renewed existence. It's it's craving to get things, to get rid of things that prop up the self-identity, that prop up the sense of me, that prop up, that support, that perpetuate, that perpetuate the the perception of a permanent me a solid me, a me that exists here. Yeah, here I am. And the rest of the world is out there. And and based on that perception, based on that perception, I have this idea of who I am and I try to sustain that image and perpetuate that image by getting things that make me feel good and by getting rid of things that don't make me feel good because my image of myself is I feel good or it's I should feel good <laughs> and I try to I try to perpetuate that 
by getting things and by getting rid of things. And so, so the, the origin of dukkha is that craving. It's that craving, that thirst that drives this. It's, it's this, this thirst that drives us, that thirst that drives us to want things to be, to stay the same, which very often means wanting things to be different than they are. Okay, because I have an idea of, I have an idea of how I should feel, I have an idea of how I should act, I have an idea of what I should look like. And then I, I look at my actions, I look at my thoughts, I look in the mirror, and that's not me. That's not me. And I act in ways to make me the way I think me should be. By getting, by getting rid of. And it's that craving, it's that craving that's the source of the dukkha. The dukkha, remember, the dukkha is wanting things to be different than they are, not getting what I want, losing what I have that I like, getting what I don't like, and I want it to be different. I want my life to be different. I don't want to get things that I don't like. I want to get rid of things I don't like, and I want to get the things that I like. And we're told over and over and over again in this, it's not just in this culture, it's spreading more and more. We're told over and over and over again that if we work hard and do the right thing, we can get whatever we want, we can be whoever we want to be. And so we're driven the, the, the culture perpetuates this craving within us. And that craving causes the dukkha. And so this, this paying attention to the dukkha, opening to the dukkha, allowing for the experience of dukkha, reveals to us the cause. If we just keep paying attention, just stay with it and stay with it, and and when we when we realize the cause, when we realize, when we really get, we really get the message, and we really open to this second noble truth. We really open. We get that this this craving causes dukkha, and then the response to that is, then let go, stop the craving. Drop the craving. If I don't want to, if I don't want to experience dukkha, then just don't crave. And the third noble truth, the third noble truth is because of this understanding that craving gives rise to dukkha, an understanding in a way that there is a releasing. The third noble truth is the ending of dukkha. And and I think um, I think we can all find examples in our own lives where we've recognized that there is dukkha. We're experiencing dukkha, and we've seen that the dukkha is because we're holding on to something, holding on to 
some idea or some some object or some relationship or a job or just countless countless things that we hold on to but i'm sure we've all had an experience of recognizing a time when we've we've seen that that holding on to something is causing suffering for us and we let it go and we experience the letting go and in that moment of in that moment of letting go we experience relief has everyone had this experience at some point in your life something that's been released and 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 often we don't have a clue what's allowed for that releasing or why it's happened or how it's happened but we we feel that release and we feel the relief and the ending of the dukkha and so this is the first three noble truths and the fourth noble truth is the path and and i always i used to puzzle why did the buddha you know the path should come first why did the buddha put the path forth and 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 the 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 conclusion i came to was that he couldn't he couldn't proclaim the path until he had gone through it himself and and once he knew once he knew this path of opening to dukkha knowing the cause of dukkha and knowing the release knowing the end of dukkha then he was able to say okay now how did that happen what what can allow that and so then the path the path comes in and interesting again as i mentioned that the path begins with right understanding understanding and understanding meaning understanding the first three noble truths and so by going through this path that begins with opening to dukkha we come to know the cause and we come to know the ending of dukkha and that ending of dukkha is said to be the entry into the path and so i would say the the, the 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 probably probably all of us are here because we've had some taste of that at some point there's there's some knowing of the possibility at least of ending dukkha there's a there's a knowing of the possibility of living free from dukkha and it's that it's that knowing it's that knowing that kind of encourages us to find a path it's that knowing that supports us to follow a path it's it's kind of like um Molly and I used to go on canoe trips and I always got to be the one carrying the canoe <laughs> on the portages and 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 what what one one thing so I, carrying the canoe and all you can see is your feet down on the ground <laughs> can't see where you're going can't see what's ahead you just see your feet on the ground and a little patch of ground ahead of you and 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 what I what I noticed would keep me knowing going was the fact that i had looked at the map 
and there was reasonable certainty that this path was actually leading to the next lake. (laughs) And that reasonable certainty was there because I had done it before. (laughs) So I had the experience. And then even when we came to a portage that we hadn't gone over before, there was there was the experience of, yes, the paths are on this map, it's marked, and as long as I follow this path, I'll get to the next lake. And so we have that experience of knowing that relief, that release, and that supports us in following the path. So, so right, right understanding... Right understanding is the understanding of these first three noble truths. In the in this first discourse, the the Buddha goes the Buddha goes through all this and he outlines the the um, the eightfold path and then he goes through the the four noble truths in 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 quite some detail. And as Molly mentioned, he's giving this discourse to to his five his five friends. And at the end of the discourse, at the end of the discourse, all kinds of um, wonderful things happen. There's, um, there's an earthquake and flower petals come falling out of the sky and all kinds of wonderful things happen. But what, um, what catches the Buddha's attention is not all this stuff going on. What catches the Buddha's attention is that one of the five understood one of the five understood. And, and it's interesting, the Buddha talks about the Eightfold Path and the Four Noble Truths, and what Kandanya understood was, um, where's the line? Um, can't find it now. The, uh, the line is, is basically that what Kandanya understood is that all things that arise pass away. All things that arise pass away. He realized the fact of impermanence. And he really got that things are impermanent. He really got that he was born, he was going to get sick, and he was going to die. He really deeply understood impermanence. And not just him, but he understood that all things are impermanent. And, and that, that, that deep understanding of impermanence, the Buddha referred to as a gateway to liberation. And it's a gateway to liberation because when we really understand impermanence, we understand that no matter how hard we try, to grasp, we can't because things change. And because they change, the very attempt to hold on to anything will bring dukkha. And so Kandanya got that and there's the release. In the in the guided meditation yesterday, um, I mentioned noticing the very first moment 
and the very last moment of each in-breath and each out-breath. Giving attention to the in-breath and, and really noticing each, each part, the birth, the life, the lifespan, and the death. The beginning, the lifespan, and the ending. The practice is, is not just to feel the breath. It's not just to be mindful of the breath, of the breathing. It's not just to feel the body moving wherever you're feeling it. It's to come to know impermanence. And the breath shows us every time we take an in-breath, every time we take an out-breath, it's showing us impermanence. And, and we pay attention, we pay attention to the breathing, we pay attention to the body sensations. We pay attention to body sensations and we know that, we notice that, we feel that a body sensation comes and we open to it and when we open to it we see that it has a life and it passes away. And then another body sensation comes and it has its life and it passes away. Just like the breath. And we can start to see that everything, everything comes into existence, has its life, and passes away. This, this, this knowing, this deep knowing of impermanence is a gateway to liberation. And why, 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 why are things impermanent? Why do things change? Why do things come into existence and have their life and go pass out of existence? Impermanence is because things depend on certain conditions. Everything exists because of the conditions that, first of all, bring it into existence and then support its existence and then allow it to pass away because the conditions are all changing. Everything is changing. Things that seem, things that seem very permanent, things that seem very permanent, like mountains, very solid, very solid. We look at a mountain one day and there it is, and we look at it another day and there it is. But, we study geography, we know that that mountain was not always there. The mountain came into being because of certain conditions. It may have been an earthquake. It may have been the movement of the plates of the earth. It may have been a volcano erupted. Certain conditions gave rise to that mountain. And we know if we study geography and study physics, we know that the height of mountains is changing. Some mountains are getting taller. Mount Everest is still getting taller. It's quite a bit taller now than than it was when the first time it was climbed. People climbing it now have to climb much further (laughs) than the first people who climbed it. And other mountains are getting smaller. They're wearing down because of conditions, because of wind erosion and rain erosion and and people walking on them (laughs) and and animals walking on them and um, deforestation and 
So even the most solid things, the most solid appearing things, are constantly changing. And they came into existence because of conditions, and one day they'll pass away because of the conditions. And the same applies to us. Each of us. Obviously, we we were born because of certain conditions. We were born with certain conditions at the time of our birth. We've grown up with conditions, inner conditions and outer conditions that have shaped who we are, that have shaped our personality, shaped our appearance. And that the appearance, certainly the appearance we know, keeps changing. (laughs) And we know that at some point, because of conditions, conditions of an accident, of illness, of just the fact of aging, of withering away. The, uh, the, The word that's translated as aging actually means decrepitude. (laughs) decay (laughs) it's nothing to do with numbers of years (laughs) it's decay decrepitude so we know we don't know when or why or how but we do know that we will die and to open to life as it actually is is to open to this fact of impermanence and this fact of impermanence because things depend on the conditions, on certain conditions to support them. And this, this conditionality of things, this conditionality, this, this contingency, this dependency on things, the Buddha also referred to as a gateway to liberation. And so when we're paying to the attention to the breath, to the breathing, perhaps we'll notice that sometimes the breathing is very deep, and sometimes it's shallow, and sometimes it's long, and sometimes it's slow, sometimes it's fast, sometimes short, all different qualities of breathing. And if we, if we stay with it and pay attention, we'll start to notice that the breathing is a, the, the quality of the breathing is dependent on conditions. We'll begin to notice that when certain emotions arise, the breathing responds in a certain way. We'll notice that if we're sitting and the mind is going, the breathing will be a certain way. When the mind gets very quiet and the body gets more still, the breathing changes the breathing changes in response to conditions, inner conditions and outer conditions. Those of us who have been to India know very well how breathing responds to the environment. (laughs) Breathing responds to air pollution, responds to humidity, it responds to heat, Breathing responds to how fast or how slow we're moving. All these conditions, all these conditions, in a sense, creating the breathing as it is. And 
And to know this is a gateway to liberation because when we really get this, when we really understand this, we realize, we come to realize that we are not separate from anything. And when we, when we really know that, we come to know that we don't need to reach out to get things. We don't need to, we can't push away what's here. Releasing, releasing. The ending of dukkha, the relief. So all of this, all of this is included within this, this first, this first factor of the eightfold path, this right understanding. And the word, the word right, the word right here, the Pali word is sama, and sama actually what it means is excellent. It means excellent, or best, or supreme. We could, we could, perhaps we could put it in the context of what's so, so some uh, right understanding what's the most important thing to understand the most important thing to understand the most important thing to understand according to the Buddha is this path to the ending of Dukkha to be able to live in this world completely free. Free from dukkha and free from the, the forces that the forces that drive us to create dukkha for ourselves and others. And there's a third a third gateway to liberation. And the third gateway is, is very much related to impermanence and non-separateness, interconnectedness, conditionality. And the third, the third one, the, 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 um, the, the Pali word for it is actually dukkha. And, what, and, and, and how, how, how it shows as a gateway to liberation is showing in the sense of because things are impermanent and conditioned, they're unreliable. Anything that is conditioned and impermanent can't be relied on to give us lasting peace, happiness, freedom. Can't be, because they depend on certain conditions and they're impermanent. And yet, it's things that are impermanent and conditioned that we continually reach out, that we crave for, that we thirst for. We, when we have the thirst, we reach out for things, things, things out there and things in here, like insights, <laughs> like experiences, like being a certain way, being a good meditator. And we reach for these things, but they're all changing. And so we can't rely on them. And so again, when we, when we see that we can't rely on them, 
there's a release that happens. When I really know that, there's just just a releasing of this dependency on things. And very important here, very important here, the releasing doesn't mean getting rid of. When things are released, they don't necessarily go away. But they're no longer held on to. They're no longer being held on to. And so we can be present with unpleasant. We can be present with neutral. How many experienced neutral today and found it really difficult? Very difficult. It's, it's, sometimes it's even more difficult than the most unpleasant thing. Neutral comes and, and we sit with the neutral and at first it can feel, it can have a, a pleasant quality to it. And we sit, ah, oh, this is nice, nothing happening. Whew, what a relief. Now what do I do? <laughs> I should be doing something now. Or something should be showing, something should be happening. And so the neutral can be very difficult. And, and so, this, so this releasing allows us to be present with whatever is showing, whatever is present. So we have these, these three gateways to liberation, which all arise out of the practice that's contained within the first three noble truths. And then the, um, the, the first noble truth, the first section of the eight noble truths has a second part to it as well. So the first part is understanding. And when we have this understanding, when, when we have this understanding, we, we enter the path, and we enter the path with a goal, don't we? <laughs> we enter the path with an intention. An intention. And the second part of the path is, is right intention, supreme intention, best intention, most important intention. And what's the most important intention? The intention, the intention for following the path and knowing the ending of dukkha. Knowing the ending of dukkha. A question that, that often comes up, the um, question that often comes up, okay, so the Buddha says, the Buddha says we have to end craving. We have to end craving. But isn't there a craving or a desire in this intention? Wanting, wanting to be enlightened. <laughs> wanting to know the ending of dukkha wanting to be more compassionate, wanting to be more kind. Isn't that just another desire? And, um, and in, in the way that we use language, yes it is, but in the context of the teachings, there's, there's a distinction, there's a distinction that's made. And the distinction that's made is that thirst or craving or desire are by definition tied in with dukkha and by definition arise out of ignorance, not knowing how things are, not understanding. 
thirst, craving, arises out of confusion. Intention arises out of wisdom. Intention arises out of knowing, out of the wisdom of the first three noble truths. And intention leads us to, intention inclines us. And and this is how the Buddha defined intention. He defined intention as an inclining of the heart in a particular direction. And so right intention, supreme intention, inclines us in the direction of the ending of dukkha, whereas craving inclines us in the direction of more dukkha. Okay, so so there's a distinction there. So and and it's and it's it's hard for us to get that because we tend to use in English we tend to use desire in in both situations. But important to understand that distinction. Okay, so so. Intention, right intention, the Buddha, the Buddha defined it, and he defined it in, in a context of, of ending of dukkha, and he defined it as having three aspects. And um, two of the aspects, the, the second and third aspects, are the, the intention for non-harming. Okay, because harming is dukkha. And the intention for non ill will. Okay, so harming and ill will. We can see how harming and ill will really contribute to dukkha, especially dukkha within ourselves. When we cause harm, we feel it. It doesn't feel good after the fact. Sometimes it feels good as we're doing it, doesn't it? But after the fact, it usually doesn't feel so good. And ill will. If you really pay attention to the body in the presence of ill will, it doesn't feel good. There's dukkha in it. And so so these two are aspects of intention. And the first the first the first of the three is the intention for renunciation. The intention for renunciation. It's the intention for for non-clinging, the intention for non-clinging, the intention for release. And the way that, one way that it manifests and a way that the Buddha certainly encouraged to manifest this is through simplicity of living. Seeing what in our basements or in our garages or stuffed away in our attic, what do we really need that's in there? In our offices, what do we need? How old files do we really need to keep? Simplicity is clearing. It's a clearing. So we can have simplicity of our environment, simplicity of our surroundings, Simplicity of life in non-accumulating. Non-accumulating. And this goes into a whole area of whole area of how we relate to the environment and how we relate to resources and how we how we relate to things. And it's it's also about inner inner simplicity. 
inner simplicity. How many of those thoughts that come into our mind do we really need to pay attention to? And 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 in the recognition, in the recognition of of what's really needed, and as Molly mentioned, food, clothing, shelter, and medicine, that about covers it, doesn't it? <laughs> in relation to simplicity, what what in in seeing of what do we really need? What what don't we need, or what don't we need to pay attention to? And then acting on that, so there's a releasing. There's a releasing. And so intention, right intention, is the intention for releasing the causes of dukkha. And so we have right understanding, the understanding of the of the path of the four noble truths the first three noble truths we we enter into the path into the first aspect of the path which is wisdom wisdom and wisdom has the understanding of the three noble truths the first three noble truths and wisdom has the intention that arises out of that understanding And that intention, the intention for renunciation, for non-harming and, no, and non-ill will leads us into the next part of the Eightfold Path to be continued. <laughs> so let's sit quietly together for a few minutes. <clears throat> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.